Welcome to the December 2017 edition of Bookplate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. I'm Annie, your apprentice sound engineer and podcast editor. I am a genderqueer, gender fluid person with she, they pronouns. Um, which we're, I'm happy to talk about later. And I am a proud member and perpetual cheerleader of the San Francisco chapter of Forever Young Adult. Hi, I'm Britt. I'm also from SFFYA. And I've identified as bisexual for a long time, but I still have to do a lot of thinking about that because gender is not a binary. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> nice. So the RMU's bouche for this month, we are discussing When the Moon Was Ours, which is a magical realism treatise of gender identity with a dose of cultural crossover and fairy tale real retellings, fairy tale retellings, and lots of pumpkins. You did warn me about the pumpkins, <laughs> and I still wasn't prepared for the amount of pumpkins <laughs> in this book. <laughs> I, th- I don't know. I just couldn't let it go after I was, you know, it, ke- it kept coming up, and I was just like, I felt almost assaulted by the amount of pumpkins i started to count the references to pumpkins and then i was just like i can't do this i don't think i know numbers that high (laughs) i don't know if that's like a cultural symbol or what the pumpkin really symbolizes you know i mean in the story she was afraid of pumpkins because her mom like locked her in one or whatever to get rid of the roses on her wrist which sounds very strange if you haven't read the book i don't know i feel like it's this kind of tangible thing to represent fear or Mm. isolation or maybe people you love like turning against you i don't know but it's yeah it's a lot it is a lot i didn't realize there were that many different types of pumpkins i didn't either (laughs) (laughs) the more you know (laughs) i mean that's our appetizer did you want to do the cover take or yeah sure okay we have traditionally called this our husband cover take but we're going to change it to other cover take uh, just to be more inclusive of folks who may not be in long-term relationships. My other cover take is Jamal, and I asked him what he thought, and he said it looked like hopeful wishing dreaming about future's past. Future's past. Yeah. Okay. Peter Panishy. I could see it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. What about Garrett? Uh, My husband Garrett said he looked at it for a while, and he said it looks like a water tower and I was like okay keep going and he said probably the girl and boy on the cover sneak up to the water tower at night to hook up and that is when the moon is theirs <laughs> and I was like uh, okay and I tried to explain the plot to him <laughs> and I was like well there was this girl and she kind of like fell out of the water tower and then this boy was like the only one who wasn't afraid to approach her and also he's trans and her mom and brother, she thought, died in the same like river that swept her away, and the mom died, but the brother was also trans, and the river turned him into the woman that he always was inside, and then she adopted the girl, but didn't tell her that she was her sister, and she's afraid of pumpkins, because her mom tried to get rid of the roses on her wrist that she thought were demonic or whatever, <laughs> and he just looked at me and goes, uh, yeah, I didn't get any of that from the cover and I still don't get any of it from your explanation <laughs> and he said well there should probably be a pumpkin on the cover 
<laughs> I said, would that help you understand what it's really about? He's like, no, but at least I'd be warned about the pumpkins. <laughs> you must have a different cover. Mine was like the purple one. This one? Oh, I guess it is. I didn't even think of the water tower. Yeah. Well, it's like the silhouette, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. Well, you got <laughs> more than I did. I was just like, uh, magical realism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely magical realism. Which is our first topic for the appetizer, Pumpkin's Magical Realism. It's upfront about claiming its genre as magical, real, magical realism. And I'm just wondering, did that work for you? When have you, fir- or when did you first come across magical realism? Is it something you read or enjoy in your own life? Um, I always say that I don't really dig magical realism. I feel like it should be one or the other, like realistic fiction or fantasy. But there's a couple books that that have made me kind of want to change my mind about labeling all magical realism. And I, I really liked this one. I thought it worked um, really well in this book. And I mean, it also depends on the writing style too. Like the kind of like flowy, flowery, poetic writing kind of helps it. I feel like the magical realism I don't like is where everything seems like perfectly normal. And then like a ghost shows up out of nowhere or something. Mm. And it's like, what? Yeah, I think it worked for this book. The other one I think that we've read for the book club is the one with the girl who had wings. The bird girl? <laughs> was she a bird girl? She was like, they had her up in the attic. And then this was, it was the one set in Seattle. Like, oh, yeah. Um, Ava, Ava something. I don't uh, know. I, yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking about. That one I didn't like so much. The writing was pretty, but I was just like, eh. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really like that one either. The Strange and Beautiful Sorrows of Ava Lavender? Yeah, I think so. That sounds right. (laughs) But yeah, so if if folks listening have read, you know, previous book club books, I don't remember which year that was, but I think we've had another, that was another one that would be called Magical Realism. Right, and that one was not my cup of tea. No. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's like sexual assault and rape in that book. That too. I also feel like it was like trying too hard. I don't know. In this book, it just really load really nicely and it made sense um just like the little touches like the bottom of her skirt always being wet mm. and what else like the roses and the pumpkins turning to glass and things like that yeah made it, i guess because it can be kind of described as more fairy tale-y i kind of feel that magical realism is like a long form fairy tale essentially mm-hmm. i first came across i read uh a thousand years a hundred years of solitude oh okay I mean, when you think about, like, adult fiction, like, I think that's traditionally upheld as a well-known, well-versed magical realism. And I had never read any of, now I'm totally blanking on the author's name. I'd never um, read... A- Gabriel... Uh, Garcia Marquez. Yeah. yeah. I'd never read any of his work before. And I'd never read any ma- magical realism before. And I had this version that had a um, had an introduction and I was really glad that I read the intro because the intro basically was like, don't worry about remembering these people's names. Don't worry about remembering whose relationship to who. It's more about like the journey of reading the story mm-hmm. than it necessarily is about the story itself. And I kind of feel like that somewhat holds true for this this book as well. Like the story is important, but it's more about when I think about magical realism, it's more about like the language that they're using to give you an experience and you might not even be experiencing what the characters are experiencing. You're just experiencing reading and like being kind of brought into this fantasy world mm-hmm. that the that the author is creating. So I thought that was well done. I think for me, it has to have a clear purpose. Like 
why is this not straight fiction or why is this not fantasy? Like why, what is your goal in blending both? And I think this one was just um, kind of, I guess, a unique way to approach the topic of a trans character and dealing with it in a realistic way, like people's reactions when they found out and like threatening to out him and stuff like that. But also um, if you look at, I'm blanking on the main character's name. Um, Meal. Meal, her sister, like the river transformed her into, yeah. you know, into a, the woman that she always was. So I guess like seeing it from those two different angles made it kind of interesting and like made it feel like it had a purpose. Yeah, I th- I think specifically the, with dealing with trans um, I- issues and identity, it's it's nice to have a magical realism where you don't have to explain how that happens. It just happens. Mm-hmm. Versus like, you know, the other book we read recently with the trans girl. If I were if I was your girl. Yeah. Yeah. Had there had to be there was like an introduction explanation about like how that happened and then at the end the author actually had to give a caveat about like why she right. kind of did a shortcut. Right. Because like that's not the interesting part of the story, right? The interesting part of the story is like what plays out with the character. Yeah. Not that part. And so with the magical realism, you could just be like oh, wave a wand, and now we're just, like, moving forward with the character. I feel like with any characters that are not straight, white, cis, het, males, there's always the idea of it being an issue book. Mm. And I feel like it's one or the other. Like, it's either an issue book, so it explores all of society's ideas about that person, or it's kind of not addressed at all. And it's like, yeah, this person is black just because they're black. We don't have to go into you know, all of the drama that comes with it. And this was an interesting way to do both. Mm. Um, because with the sister, it was like, she's just trans. This is how the river made her. It is what it is. Whereas with Sam, there was like how he felt about his own body and binding. And like when the people threatened to out him and all that stuff that comes with the reality of it. Yeah. Well, that's a really good way of pu- putting it. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, well, if this is the issue book, why do you have two trans characters? <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, we shouldn't be have to limit the number of any type of character in the book. If that's what fits the story, that's what fits the story. And mm-hmm. then we don't need to have an explanation about it. Yeah. yeah. I still think that magical realism is like not necessarily my favorite, but it's not really mine either, but there's a couple that work like roses and rod, I guess could be. That's true. Magical realism. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think you could say that. In that, in that story, you have the real world and you still have the fantasy right. world. There's a divide. Yeah. I think in magical realism, there's like no divide. Everything right. bleeds over. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Our other appetizer is honey, which plays a meal is another word for honey. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Is that mentioned in the book? I don't know if it's mentioned in the book, but I only know that because I have someone who I worked with who had meal in her name and always would n- comment on that. Oh, okay. Know. Cool. Love witches is our topic. And I had recently reread Secret of a Heart Note. I haven't read that one yet. By Stacey Lee, who is a local author in the Bay Area. I really loved it. <laughs> She's a great writer. I'm just, I don't know. I have this, and I I don't know why I love putting things into boxes. I just have this idea of her as a historical fiction mm. writer. And so I'm like, oh, I just so want to read a romance mm. by her. Even though I've heard glowing things about it, I just need to get over myself and just read it. Because I'm sure it's great. <laughs> it's really, it's more of fluffy. Like, uh-huh. her historical fiction deals with more serious yeah. issues. This one is yeah. just, like, a fluffy high school Yeah, and why romance. not? I mean, like, um, what's her name? Was it Stephanie Perkins who recently wrote a horror novel oh. or something? Yeah, so. I feel like 
good for good for any author who wants to write whatever they want to write you know um yeah i one of the reasons i really love secret of a heart note is because it's so placed in um california yeah i like placemaking like that but when we talk about love witches in secret of a heart note there's a witch that invites love in like they make these potions that encourages love and okay. in this story we have a witch that casts out love sickness yeah I just I thought that was really interesting yeah that is interesting but both of them I think both of them are kind of like not allowed love themselves it's mm. always like if you're the love witch mm-hmm. you do it for others but you don't get to do it for yourself yeah I think sometimes that's something that happens to us when we play a very specific role people will come to you for advice on something or for help with something and so I know I felt this where I'm often like doing for others but not but I don't get it myself like who do I go if I'm the person people are coming to advice on this topic who do I go to for help that's always an interesting dynamic like again allowing for different layers of identity like yes you might be the love witch that you know everyone comes to for help but like you should be allowed love yourself as well right yeah so i would definitely read a sequel or a novella from the sister's point of view mm. that would be pretty interesting i like that was like very much magic yeah like, not yeah. even magical realism but like actual magic and and spirits and right. that kind of thing but i liked the idea that you had to get it out the window yeah it was like it became like love became a tangible thing or mm-hmm. i guess it wasn't love it was heart sickness yeah or whatever but it was like not a physical thing necessarily but a tangible thing that like would rattle against the window if mm-hmm. you didn't actually physically open up the window and let it out i thought that was kind of cool i thought that was cool too because you know when we are love sick we it feels physical it like weighs on our chest and yeah so the idea that we have to like get it out and kind of give it wings to go away from us i thought that was cute yeah our main course, which are eggs and citrus, they ate, they ate well in this book. <laughs> um, so non-binary or queer gender, or there's a, so many different types of gender, we're not going to be able to like accurately speak to all of them. I just want to say that up front. So I'm actually looking up something that I saw on Twitter <laughs> this morning that is awful and relevant. Um, it is somebody posted a collection of these like quote unquote gender reveal cakes. Oh, oh no. Okay. Yeah. But it's not just like boy or girl, pink or blue. Oh my gosh. I got to find it. It's, it's ridiculous. And I think the person who posted it just said like, why do straight people do this? Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Because we were most familiar with binary gender, it's already difficult for people who aren't familiar with non-binary genders to conceive of the fact that gender can be fluid that it's not always like a specific one type like it's not binary it's not even three it's not even four it's not even five there are literally as many as like people identify as there are types of people and it's not something that people are easily categorized in and so when we use words instead of using like very specific categories that kind of trap people in things like the binary gender I think we need to just like be cognizant that one people's genders change right so like if they were identifying as one thing they might be something now and just like allow people that change <laughs> yeah um i found it oh yeah okay this is horrible okay so on twitter the person who posted this is at church carlton and they wrote i don't understand what straight people think babies are and it's a series of gender reveal cakes this one has a cupcake and a muffin on top, and it says, will it be a cupcake or a stud muffin? What? 
There's one that has um like decorations with football on one side and like ballet stuff on the other that says touchdowns or tutus. Oh god. Tractors or tiaras. Pistols or pearls. <laughs> I just, and like the comments are just great. People are like, well, when somebody asked me what I was having, I would say, we're really hoping it's a baby. <laughs> and like other people are like, well, maybe a velociraptor. Like <laughs> people just kind of turning it on its head. But like, it's just so cringeworthy. Guns or glitter is another one, which is just really and someone wrote, I prefer a gun that shoots glitter. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it's just, it's just, we've just taken the binary way too far. Like, children are just genderized and sexualized from a very, like, from birth, mm-hmm. from before birth. And um, I saw one response that kind of sums it all up. It was, because people are posting other, you know, this or that. And one person said, will I have my body objectified or be doing the objectifying? Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> So, yeah, you should you should find this tweet <laughs> and look at all of the ridiculousness and the really great responses to it. Did we have gender? Is gender reveal like a new thing that it wasn't around when we were born? I've never <laughs> I don't ever remember seeing this until recently. Um, I don't even think my I think when I was born, I don't even know if my parents like if the technology was there for them to know ahead of time. Mm, that might I don't know when that happened. Uh, that might be true. I don't know. I'll have to ask my parents. Stashes or lashes Ugh. with a mustache and some eyelashes because you know boys don't. Because you know eyelashes. women like don't grow facial yeah, hair. What? I don't. I don't. It makes no sense. Um, little diva or little dude. Okay, I'm done. Sorry. Okay, no, it's, okay. <laughs> it's just people are so creative about oppression. I know, right? <laughs> um, ah. Well, anyway, I mean, the reason I wanted to bring up the fact that like we just need to allow people more fluidity in gender yeah in in gender and in general is just my personal um experience with that is I uh, did not come out as genderqueer until last year and it's definitely both genderqueer like I don't feel in the binary but also fluid so one of the other books we I don't know I don't think we read that for book club but we um there's a book for young adults where the main character describes it as a compass and every morning they wake up and like sometimes it's on the more feminine side and sometimes on the more masculine side is it a white cover with like a black silhouette with hair the asymmetrical hair yes Yes. i've read that um i can't remember what it's called google but yeah in and in i thought that was a really good way of depicting somebody who's not binary and the other part of that that i liked is like they talked about body dysmorphia. Yes. And how during the day, even though they were going to high school, feeling a certain type of way, and all of a sudden they would feel like they would feel like wrong and they would realize that they needed to change, you know, the way they were walking and the way their clothes were worn and that sort of thing. And I and I think that that's a very immediate Symptoms of Being Human by yeah. Jeff Garvin. Yes. Good. So I think if anybody wants to read a character that is is changing and mm-hmm. like let's not everybody feels that way, but let's use that as an example of how we don't need to put someone in a binary right. because these types of people exist all over the world. And like, for personally, someone who's felt not binary ever, but never had the language or the understanding that I could come out and say that until more recently. Mm-hmm. And like, it is, it's not the same every day, at least for me. And I know other people are the same, but it's not binary. 
Mm-hmm. I think we need more words yeah. <laughs> than we're used to using them. Yeah. And like dichotomies aren't very good for uh, humanity in general. We're too layered. Mm-hmm. And I think dichotomies usually end up in oppression of some part of our intersectional identity. Mm-hmm. So that's my opinion. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, that's why intersectionality is such a hard concept for some people to grasp because it's like, well, you're one or the other. And I think I might have even said this on this podcast before, but in college in my sophomore year, I was uh, like an orientation leader for the new group of freshmen. Yeah, and we had to do this activity where like we had uh, signs up with our different identities or whatever. And at the time, like I was identifying as lesbian. And so there was a poster that said gay and a poster that said black. And I didn't know which one to stand under. <laughs> so I stood in between them. And then like one of my friends who was standing under the gay poster was like, why aren't you over here? And I'm like, uh, because I'm more than one thing. And in different contexts, one of those identities becomes, you know, can like float to the top and be the more crucial one at right. the moment. Or you just like can't divide them and then when someone's forcing you to choose then it's like you can't cut off your arm you know you're like my body is one thing so right how are you going to divide those things for me you can't I mean I guess I didn't think it was weird but like the way that other people reacted to me like made me feel weird that Mm -hmm. I like one of my um really close friends in college was like what you can't say you're lesbian and then bye you're going backwards like it's not supposed to be like that I was like uh I don't know that's what happened so (laughs) people get really I it's what the thing that drives me the most pretty crazy is like people get really angry about when people want their whole identity recognized. Yeah. Wait a minute. Like either you care about that person's humanity or you don't. Right. You can't <laughs> only care about part of their humanity. You have to care about them as the whole person That's or the you thing. don't. <laughs> yeah. They allowed us at work. Well, allowed us. They said it was okay if we wanted to put our you know pronouns and they were using the word preferred pronoun which is not I think in new language it's not preferred Mm. preferred makes it sound like someone's making a choice but Mm -hmm. you know folks aren't making a choice about their identity like like it is pronoun you prefer someone else to recognize you as I guess yeah I mean you could say that but like you know I think the reason and this this example is one of the the reasons I think they want to take the word prefer out of there is I had put in pronoun I hadn't put in preferred I just was like pronoun yeah these are my pronouns you don't get to know why or how I choose them right this is what it is and I have she they and the reason I have she they is because one it's fluid but two I think allowing for she a part of the binary is easier for people I'm Mm -hmm. not trying to make it really hard for people because I think Amanda Stenberg is the same like had the same idea because I remember when she they came out as she or they and mm-hmm. she said that sh- either one was fine yeah so I think it was kind of along the same lines I mean like for my parents I doubt they're ever going to be able to use they you know and I'm just like I know that they care about me and love me and I don't feel like they're dissing my humanity by right. not understanding they is the pronoun so yeah. and for many friends it's just easier yeah and that's fine like I still love you all. I'm not trying to pick a fight. You know, other people feel differently, but this is my personal opinion. So I have she, they in my work email. And I was having this person who I interact with continue to use Ms. when Mm. they referred to me. And they would have Ms. Tricky. And so I asked them to use Mix. Oh, that's your Twitter. Yeah. It's on your, yeah. I I changed it recently. (laughs) Yeah. Besides the fact that I don't identify as a Ms., I felt that they were using it disrespectfully. Mm. It was because they're older white men. (laughs) And I felt that they were using that to talk down to me. And so I asked for them to use mix as as like an equal, you know, like Mm -hmm. I am calling you what you want to be called. Please refer to me. And I said, please use mix. This is non-binary. And I got a five paragraph essay about 
what they prefer and how they might prefer this and they might prefer that, but I should not put my identity politics at their doorstep. And so I think it was just like, I wasn't trying to make it personal. I, I felt like they were doing it disrespectfully. And I think asking for basic respect for me as a person is what set them off. So I, I'm kind of convinced now that they were intentionally doing that disrespectfully. You know, they're mm-hmm. initiating all of the conversation. Like they don't actually have to talk to me. It's not something that they have to do. They're choosing to engage in this conversation with me over email. Email is a written word, and so it has like some uh, formality to it, just if you're going to address someone with for business reasons. And I was like, well, if we're doing it formally, then this is the formal way you should acknowledge, you would acknowledge my humanity, yeah. and they couldn't do it. So, uh, yeah, again, back to this whole, like, I wasn't having a problem at all until like they made it an issue and it was only me asking for them to just like recognize me as a human being that they like got really pissed (laughs) so yeah because it's it's (laughs) about politics obviously it's not about your you know what you want to be called yeah clearly that's politics I was like "Mm, I just think (laughs) (laughs) but this whole like people are so mad at identity politics these days and like um when things happen they're like oh let's not make it about identity let's not make it about race let's not identity politics and I'm like that's no. coming from an incredible place of p- privilege. Yeah. Like to not have to think about your identity or your race or like, oh, let's not make it about that. For some of us, it is about that because that's who we are. <laughs> like what? It's like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to not think about it. Right. And that's that our language, our, our whitewashed language is what has allowed for our system of oppression to continue calling out things for what they actually are and acknowledge, acknowledging them for their diversity and, and inclusiveness changes our language and allows us to actually address systemic issues that, you know, the language has allowed us to so far in our world to just like double down on. So I think it's really important to use language the way people want to be addressed. But it's annoying for other people because then they have to like use a different word (laughs) instead of the other word that they were using. (laughs) Despite the fact that she and they have the same number of syllables, which is one. It's just hard. Okay. Right. (laughs) And I'm not, you know, and like they is a word that most people know. It's not even like a a new gendered word. Like I have a friend who goes by here and also Z. That's harder. For folks, it's like a new word versus yeah. like they, where we already have the the singular and they in language, language. evolves, right? Like nobody's going around saying like thou anymore. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I use they instead of she or he because, I mean, the AP recognizes it. It's, it's a thing. Like language evolves. And I'm a teacher. And I feel like it's important to to recognize that language evolves and say, yeah, you can say they to mean one person because they might not want to be identified as he or she i have a question yeah i i'm not gender fluid i am she her but i i like the idea of they them is that appropriation so let's talk about mix then yeah because mix doesn't necessarily mean specifically someone who identifies as non-binary right it is a title that is not gender and one of the examples is like when women get married they go from being Ms. to Mrs. I Why hate does that being change? called Mrs. Oh my gosh! I oh I'm I'm always Ms. Like when I address myself like as a teacher or whatever, and yeah. like I still have parents who insist on calling me Mrs. Or like older relatives who, when they send mail to me and my husband, call me Mrs. Garrett last name, and I'm like, I didn't change my first name to Garrett. <laughs> I don't remember doing that. Like I'm still my own person with my own name, and like 
and that's an example of how language has been used right. to continue oppression. Like right. women mm-hmm. are only identified based on their marital status. Right. So mix is actually a title that's used where you can be a she her person and use mix because you don't want people to identify you based on your marital status and it gives right. you like a more it's it's more of an equal footing with mister or right you know you could be the type of person who's in a business where you get treated differently if you're a woman no matter what you mm-hmm. know and so you use mix so that people don't automatically right. default to that treatment of women i think yeah. that i've seen that i don't think that's appropriation i would be fine if someone called me they or them and i f- don't think i really prefer one or the other like she versus they but like do i get to claim that if i'm not gender queer or gender fluid you know that's a good question i think that's that's a what i've seen i follow this one particular person and they talk about that a lot where like don't feel like if you chose one pronoun that you can't go back to a different pronoun. Yeah. Right? Because, again, we have to allow the fluidity of change and, like, people that we have to allow them to, like, be think differently one day to the next. Like, that's how brains work. So, yeah. you know, if you want, if you feel comfortable, more comfortable with they, and then later you feel more comfortable with she, I don't think that you're trapping yourself or, like, I don't think that you're consciously appropriating as, uh, as long as it's just, like, your identity and yeah. you're not trying to take some other identity, right? You're not, like transracial <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Dolezal are you listening right. <laughs> yeah I mean I definitely have femme days and butch days yeah. but like I wouldn't call myself gender queer or gender fluid but I still like the idea of a that it's not limiting as people who are women from the outside world I have a chip on my shoulder about <laughs> just being defaulted like disrespectfully or like less than because of that identity right. and so that's why I'm taking a strong stance yeah um so. is my body gonna be the one objectified or do I get to objectify others exactly boy you're a girl <laughs> <laughs> oh man but the person I follow on Twitter yeah they're really good it's Anna Mardall mm-hmm and their, their conversations around gender and gender identity I always find really interesting. It makes me think, and I, I, I yeah. recommend them. When I was reading the, the cake thread, there were people who chimed in who said, like, you know, uh, they wouldn't tell people the sex of their baby, and people would get so mad, and they're like, well, we'll know, you know, what their gender is in about three, you know, a few years. Like, until then, we don't really care what their plumbing is. Right. <laughs> you know, and, like, other people just feel entitled to know weirdly intimate things about another person's body like that's essentially what you're asking and right it's odd and there, there was a teacher at my school who um just recently went on maternity leave and you know people were asking her and she's like well boy is the sex but we'll see what he decides his gender is i don't get why people are so upset over other people's choices that's really what it comes not even choices like the way they want to live their lives just other people being themselves it's there's a lot of weird laws about that in this country <laughs> that's true I saw a tweet from a trans person saying something like, it's really interesting that Republicans are, you know, all about, I can't remember how it was worded, um, are saying that freedoms are being trampled over for, you know, to protect children's lives or whatever. But, you know, my freedom to go to the bathroom is being trampled over because what, Keep also the kids safe children. in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, it like makes no sense. Ugh. 
It doesn't make any sense. This country is fucked up. We should <laughs> move on because I could probably talk about this all day. <laughs> I think the notes I put in about this for the story is that the book acknowledges at the beginning. Oh, right. We're talking about a book. Yeah. <laughs> that states the author's thankfulness for the support for writing fake characters. Yeah. And it states that their husband is a transgender boy. And then at the end, they go further into detail regarding the history of how they met and before their partner's transition. And the book is basically a fable or allegory explaining gender queerness to mm-hmm. those who are not. Did you think it was effective? I think we talked about that a little bit already. Yeah, right? the yeah. kind of dual, I guess, having the two trans characters who just had a vastly different experience in, you know, becoming the person that they feel on the inside. I thought it was an interesting way to, to cover it, so I thought it worked. I did, too. Yeah. And I think it was a good introduction. I, th- I mean, I was distracted by the pumpkins and also by <laughs> other parts of the... Just the there was a lot going on. There was a lot going on, and it took me. It was really slow reading. I'm yeah. a super quick reader, but I guess that's kind of what kept it from being an issue book. Like mm. it's not all about Sam's transition. There's a lot of other stuff going on. It's it's one part of a larger story mm-hmm. versus like you know the entire. And we need those books. We need books like If I Was Your Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, before we can have books where a person is trans, and that's part of a larger thing right and it did like it's not just about that right yeah like we need the will and grace before we can just have (laughs) gay characters who are just gay you know (laughs) i can't believe they're revamping i don't want to watch it i I mean i enjoyed it for what it was when it was but i uh. (laughs) i want new stories yeah although i'm not gonna lie i'm super excited for a sister sister uh Mm. reboot (laughs) i don't know i think people are just capitalizing off everything 90s now, yeah it is very, which that's true i mean i'm not mad at it i did spend all day w- yesterday watching living single i love queen latifah <laughs> i started watching the show on netflix called um everything sucks mm. i was gonna watch uh, the end of the fucking world okay but i feel like i need a break after this florida shooting yeah. to watch a show about a person who plans to shoot a classmate um, so I was like, okay, what can I watch? And I saw this and I was like, well, that's an interesting title. And it's just, it's set in the nineties and it's like, it's so not even subtle about it. You know mm. how Stranger Things, did you watch Stranger Things? I saw a couple episodes. There's kind of like these subtle, you can tell it's the eighties, but they're yeah. not throwing it in your face. Like mm-hmm. the show totally throws the nineties in your face and like <laughs> it got some kind of negative reviews for it, but I love it. Like a girl <laughs> pulls out her Tamagotchi and like oh, yes. one kid's <laughs> drinking a can of Surge and it's just like, <laughs> I'm here for it. Slap bracelets. Like, <laughs> like hey, you remember the nineties? <laughs> <laughs> Our next uh, topic is olive, orange, and fennel salad, the Las Gringas Bonitas. The bad or evil witches in the story are four sisters with red hair. Essentially, they bully and abuse our main character, Miel, until she almost dies. But in the end, she and the main culprit, Ivy, exchange hair color as a symbol of... I'm not sure. <laughs> their similarity, their solidarity. Uh, I don't know if I got that part. Did you? I don't, I don't know either. I'm trying to think of... I felt about it when I read it. It's been a while. I don't know. Maybe the power can kind of easily be taken, mm. right? Because the red hair was sort of like the symbol of these like all powerful girls who could make like anybody do their bidding or whatever. And then Miel kind of like overcame that. Mm. But that's just like, I'm just throwing it out there because I really don't remember, I don't <laughs> remember what I thought either. when I first read it. I was confused. I have to say that part of the story was the part that confused me the most. The like the bad girls the were, sisters. were the sisters. Yeah. Who just wanted love, but then they were like 
I still feel I was like if you're gonna make bad guys I'm like I would prefer non-feminine bad guys mm. but you know I don't know that's just that's legit that was my only like contention with it I felt like there was no reason for them to like hate Neil like they should have they were all outsiders they should have all been outsiders together but then of course they picked on her I don't know I don't know if it's that they hated her they wanted the roses because they thought it would kind of help them, them keep power. their power yeah. um she th- i think she thought they would hate her because of her relationship with sam it was kind of weird i mean i liked how how they were portrayed as like this group who kind of puts up this facade of like being you know these all powerful whatever like mean girls queen bees whatever and then one of them has a kid and then suddenly like it all comes crumbling down mm. like status is only going to get you so far. Mm. It was kind of weird. That was one of the more fairy tale specific parts of the story is how one of the tropes of fairy tales is to be very specific on like the physical aspects of the person. Right. And so all of those sisters were their physical aspects were mentioned over and over again like what color their hair was, what color their eye was, what size and shape they were. Yeah. They were they were doubled down on over and over again about like that being their identity and it was hard to get more of their character out of that i think the author did that but like if you're only giving someone their physical characteristics as their identity like what are they really as a character i was having some issues with that i think i mean i don't know maybe i'm just like making excuses but isn't that kind of how they're seen by everyone it's just like they can't really get close to them they only know them by what they look like and just you know the sight of them is so intimidating whatever like they don't really get to know them so we don't either that might be i mean i think it was intentional i yeah. just was like i was like i wanted more but then i'm like okay yeah. she's doing this on purpose so back to the yeah. pumpkins and then i mean <laughs> <laughs> back to the pumpkins back to you pumpkins was it uh, which character which one was gay of the sisters was that the that was youngest Ivy. one right i can't remember what their names were i thought i mean i thought maybe it was the second to youngest i thought that character was interesting just because like you know she's going along with you know bullying sam and threatening to to out him and stuff and it's like it's that idea of maybe self-hate or like projecting onto someone else the thing that you're most afraid of so like that kind of hypocrisy and self-turmoil was interesting to see in her yeah that she was probably like show this have this other person be the issue rather than like my other you know yeah outsider especially when sam kept her secret right when she could have made a choice to keep his she went along with peer pressure her sisters sisters. yeah four sisters would be i don't know if you could fight against them (laughs) yeah our dessert is alpha i hopefully i'm saying this right alpha horus i know it's it looks like there's a J, so I'm assuming that's an H. I don't speak any Spanish. So. I don't either, <laughs> so I'm not the one to ask. The, our topic is retold tales. I have always loved retold tales. Uh, there was actually a time where I mainly collected like mythologies and fairy tales. The Andrew Lang books, you know, Red, fa- t- Red Fairy Tale Book, Blue Fairy Tale Book. Mm-hmm. It seems like this book re- weaves many together. Mm-hmm. You know, it has the topics like the glass coffin, la, and I'm going to say this wrong too, La Lorna, Yorna maybe, with ties to banshees pumpkins and glass and probably more that i didn't catch on my read i think if i had known the the banshee story the la lorna story it would have it would have had a more thorough thread for me yeah Uh, as it was i often felt lost with that one yeah i love a good fairy tale retelling like the the lunar chronicles i liked wicked 
even though it felt like it was trying to do too much. Yeah, I, I like a good fairy tale retelling, but I think it's got to come from knowing the original story and seeing how the author adapted and changed it. And fairy tales are so culturally specific. There is this standardized test that um, that pre-K kids take. I don't know if it's still a thing, but when I was in grad school, I had to um, give this test to pre-K, and it tests their knowledge of concepts of print, like if they can point to where the author's name is mm. on the book, if they can point to where the title is, like if they know to flip the pages the right direction mm. and stuff like that. And it also tests... Um, like letter knowledge and beginning letter sounds and part of the test is like these nursery rhymes oh and it tests whether they yeah like you start off you know twinkle twinkle little star and see if they respond yeah how i wonder what you are and they're so cultural i didn't even know some of them Uh. it was an assignment in grad school and i was doing this at a school in chinatown and like none of these kids knew the next line of the fairy tale it's supposed to test like their rhyming Mm. sense but like, if you don't know what the next line's supposed to be, like, you could come up with whatever word rhymes. Or maybe you don't understand that it's supposed to rhyme if yeah. you don't know it. And I was like, and I told my professor, and I was like, this is kind of fucked up <laughs> that this is part of the test. And she's like, I think so, too. Like, how do we expect, you know, kids from diverse cultural backgrounds to be familiar with the stories that some people may have heard as a kid from their parents who heard it from their parents right. and then, you know like how does that even I'm like Mother Goose is fair? so British right you know <laughs> like fairy tales are very specific but there are tropes that appear like the Banshee one in particular La Lorna the screaming woman or weeping woman that is like not only a Banshee but there's also another one and I can't remember what the name of it is but it's a river in Germany mm. so we have like this is a river spirit a weeping river spirit based in you know central south america and then we also have one in germany so it's not like they don't exist across the world but you still need to know the name of what that particular type of spirit or character is called in that culture in order to like know what they're talking about yeah nursery rhymes specifically oh man that would be so hard yeah because unless you've read like i have read johnny crow's garden but there's a lot in there that no one would know what that is unless you'd read that book. Right. You know? I felt like, oh, I'm missing out on this. And then I was like, well, this is probably how people feel when they don't know what the, the fairy tales are and they're being retold. Like, if you don't know Sleeping Beauty, you don't understand it. What's happening here? Right. I just felt like I needed more research. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, maybe that was the author's intention. Like, That's true. Hey, make you want to research, you know, fairy tales from other cultures that you might not know about. But Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I just feel like... Maybe I, if I reread it now, I would understand more of the signifiers in the story. Our dessert is piloncillo, sugar, and drinks. hot chocolate. Oh, sorry. We already had dessert. This is drinks. Piloncillo, sugar, and hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. Multiculti. I put that Multiculti. in Multiculti. <laughs> Deutsch, we used to call. That was one of our, um, when I was taking German, that was one of our like books was called that. Oh, nice. But my favorite part about the book is the interwoven cultural references that centered non-white folks specifically. Both our leaves are brown, mm-hmm. and while somewhat eroticized, they are still centered, while the townsfolk are background, and the bad guys are the white girls with the red hair. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this before, but the witchiness of the girls who just want something for themselves, you know, that was not, didn't sit 100% with me, yeah. but I'm okay with that being side characters. Like, yeah. it did not bother me at all that the leaves are brown and that they are from different cultures that I may not understand their references. I was 
I was okay with it. Yeah. But they did, again, they were very much identified by their physical characteristics. Mm -hmm. Like, this is their eye color. This is their skin color. This is their hair color, which is a tradition in fairy tales. But, again, it makes it, like, okay, we got it. Yeah. (laughs) But... The pumpkins were also identified by all of their characteristics. <laughs> so I was like, well, the glass pumpkins and the orange pumpkins <laughs> and the white pumpkins and the pumpkins that you eat and the pumpkins <laughs> that you decorate for Halloween. And so I was like, okay, well, she did it to everybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you think about that, Britt? The p- not the pumpkins, right? The no, just <laughs> like, how did the story work for you about like having the white folks be the background? I don't know. I guess I, I mean, I always like seeing characters of color as the lead because, you know, you need more of that. I guess, like, for the quote-unquote, like, bad guys, I wasn't thinking of, like, their whiteness as, like, an attribution of why they were the bad guys. Mm. Interesting. I'll have to think about it a little bit more. I was just mad that the witchy girls were bad. I was like, can't the witchy girls be, like, the good guys now? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a book that I read. I didn't love it. Oh, what's it called? It's like the Bruja series, the first book. Okay. But it's about this girl who is a witch and her family are witches and she's brown and she's the main character. The witchiness is just like a thing in her family. That's just who they are. It's not like witches equal evil. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in fairy tales, which is what this book is more like, you know, there's not really, well, there's Glinda the Good Witch. But <laughs> you know, she needs the bad witches to like be a contrast. So. <laughs> It was good overall. It was really, it's not my favorite. I don't know what I gave it on Goodreads now that I think about it. I think I only gave it a three. Do you know what you gave it, Britt? I kind of fell off on using Goodreads. I actually mm, went oh on right, like a, F now. I had a, oh, Labyrinth Lost is the book I was talking about. Oh, okay. Brooklyn Brujas is like the name of the series. Nice. Zoraida Cordova is the author. Okay. I went on like a, I wouldn't say rampage, but like I deleted everything off my Goodreads profile. I don't know why. I think I was just getting really overwhelmed with um, keeping up with all of the books I read. And I was like, I'm just going to start over. <laughs> so I just wiped my Goodreads clean and now there's nothing on there. <laughs> I don't know. You clearly don't have to re- use Goodreads. I think I would need to read the book again to know, or even just like the other book by the author to know what my true feelings were. I think yeah. I just was like, it was just taking me so long to slog through it. I'm like, yeah. I want to know what's happening, but there's something about this that's just making me move really slow. And I think if I had more patience, I don't really have patience, but if I had more patience, maybe that would have worked for me. But I yeah. was like, why am I not done yet? <laughs> I don't really like having a public social media presence. And even though my Goodreads is friends only, like people still see my reviews and like random people that I don't know would be commenting on my reviews. And I'm like, this is weird. (laughs) I definitely got in an argument with someone about a bad review. I gave a book. Yeah. And then, I mean, Goodreads (laughs) in general has just gotten, I don't know. There's a lot of like, there shouldn't be any bad reviews, only good reviews. Or you shouldn't review a book if you, didn't finish it or if you gave it like less than three i don't know i saw some of that weirdly weird about stuff like that yeah i saw i mean i've seen on twitter like don't tag someone in because i'm not trying to talk to them i'm trying to talk about the book yeah and like that's fine Um, yeah i mean definitely like if you write a bad review i wouldn't tag the author like just to rub it in their face right but, like, if you didn't like the book, that's fine. Like, Right. I you're allowed to express that. And exactly. then people are like, oh, well, that's rude to the authors and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, no, that's what reviewing is. Like, telling people what you thought of the book. It doesn't. Yeah. And, like, you're one opinion. You know, that's why I asked because, like, I know that 
we don't like all of the same things, but I know in like certain ways we line up. So like your opinion means more to me than like some rando. Yeah. You know, it's like reading Yelp reviews. If someone gave it a one star, you got to see if it was because like they were in a bad mood and didn't get their cookie. Right. You know, or is it because <laughs> like the, the service was actually that great? Like yeah. Yeah. you have to weigh your, you know, weigh it out. So with the books, like I, I will give a book a bad review. Like most recently I gave a book a bad review because it was about toxic masculinity rape culture. Yeah. And like it had all these great reviews and I was like, this book is literally about rape what culture. Book? Oh, that one that Jenny gave me for the hate read. <laughs> okay before friday night or something like that okay it was just rape culture it was like idealized stylized beautified yeah rape culture and i was yeah. like nope <laughs> i mean i didn't spend more than five minutes reviewing it but i still think it was worth me calling that out yeah and when i have written bad reviews i'm not nice about it either <laughs> right? like i'm like this book is horrific and terrible and let me tell you why i thought so but i'm not gonna go out of my way to tag the author yeah like that's rude i'll have to feel how you feel about it there was one other thing that i wanted to say when we were talking about uh like symptoms of being human Mm -hmm. and um if i was your girl i just i love that we're seeing more books that are exploring different identities on the gender spectrum on the sexuality spectrum there's another book it's about a girl who's intersex Hmm. doesn't realize it until she i think like tries to have sex with her boyfriend and doesn't understand why it's so painful or Hmm. something like that and she goes to the doctor and you know and like the author is a is a surgeon who has worked with a lot of intersex people and actually like knows what she's talking about versus like oh i think i want to write about this identity because i think it's interesting and it's kind of like if i was your girl where in the author's note, she's like, this is one type of intersex person. There are many, many, many. And there's another book coming out, and I'm struggling to remember the title, but there's a black girl on the cover, and the font is purple. And I think the word love isn't, like, what's love got to do with it? Or something like that. That's about a main character who's asexual. And I'm just like, yes, more of these. Like, Awesome. Let's get these books into the hands of people so that they can understand that there are so many identities and that's not a bad thing yeah or if you're i mean i wish i'd read this stuff when i was a kid again because like never identified as binary i thought that because i didn't identify as female that i had to transition in order to not be what my current identity was Mm. for a long time i thought about transitioning and then i was like no i actually don't want to have surgery you know that's not how i feel but i didn't realize like you could actually just so you could still identify and have that identity right. identity without actually like having surgery. Right. And so allowing people the space to, you know, not choose surgery as the only signifier of like what their identity is and be able to own an identity with, you know, just like being in their own body. I think that's really important. So more yeah. of this. Stuff. Yes, for sure. Next month is January and we're going to talk about all American boys. So join, the, join us then. Awesome. Bye. Las flores de un campo